This is increment 13, Hebrews 2020. We see Jesus. The Greek phrase, tain oiko menen tain melusan. A Greek phrase from the text of Hebrews. And I want to begin today's message with a brief introduction. We had a verse that I think was very applicable to where we are right now as a church and as a nation, and that's Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 20, which says, Come, my people, into your secret places with me, and let your doors be shut. Keep yourself safe for a short time till this wrath is over. And there is a remarkable connection here, which I noticed this week, with Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, when Jesus is speaking about the subject of prayer, a very important one for us at this present time and always. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, this is a remarkable thing because it's clear by looking at the Greek text that Jesus was actually alluding to that passage in Isaiah 26.20. The Lord invites us into the secret place, into the closet, into the apartment, into the room, into the special place, and for the purpose of prayer. The whole purpose from God's standpoint, for us as God's people, in being presently and currently sort of holed up, is for the purpose of prayer. Now for us, and to Telestai Phalanx, we have received an insight in these past few years of the gospel of the glory of the Christ, who is the image of God. And this insight, this glory, has shown into our hearts in various degrees, in various ways, by the Holy Spirit, And therefore, we have received a knowledge of the gospel of the glory of the Christ that's extraordinary. And we've called it the universally saving significance of Jesus Christ, coupled with the universal impact of his cross, of the cross of Christ. Now is time, as we are in our secret places, to pray to the Father who will hear us in secret. And answer our prayers. The most effective evangelism that we have is intercessory prayer. And my prayer is that the gospel will come across this world as a wave, as they have compared the present virus to, and that it will take up many more people than this virus has in its wake. Our prayer is that this gospel will be known and appropriated and believed by millions in this world today and in the coming generations because that's how important it is. We have the privilege of looking into Hebrews right now at this time in history, and it's a place, really, I call Hebrews a lens dropped from heaven to us on earth through which we may see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And there's no greater privilege than to look unto him and to look unto the Father whom he is seated next to and make intercession 
And so we want to begin today with a word of prayer as we begin Hebrews, the 13th increment of Hebrews 2020. And Father, today we look to you and we thank you that in our secret places, which you have now brought us into, we ask you to stave off this plague or this virus that has originated across the seas and has come across the world. We pray simply, we ask you to do something that those in the administrations of, of countries can't do, that medical helpers cannot do, and that's to stop the progress and limit the progress of this virus, especially among those who are most vulnerable. We pray that you'll grant us a sensitivity to those people who are most vulnerable in our church, in our family, in our neighborhoods, that we may be available to them. We pray for our leadership and for the task force, for the medical personnel and the first responders that are on the front lines of this particular crisis. And we pray for the American people, for the people across this world, that our attention would indeed be drawn to you. For this such a time as this, that is the necessity, especially among your people. So we thank you for this opportunity, for your word to go forth with power, for you've still provided this freedom for us, and we're very grateful and thankful to you. So we commit ourselves to you, committing our souls to you, our faithful creator, in a time of crisis, committing our spirits into your hands, committing our body to you as a living sacrifice, and presenting our situations to you. For we're aware of the scripture that says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Commit your way unto him, and he will bring it to pass. So we thank you for this opportunity, and we pray that you'll allow us all to make the most of it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, I'm here with my faithful co-laborer, Jim McClory. I'm in the pulpit. He's in the booth, and we're the only ones in the building at the present time. We will be continuing the obedience and compliance to the government that says that we should be staying away from public gatherings now for an undetermined amount of time. So we will continue our compliance with that. And today we are celebrating in a kind of mild way St. Patrick's Day as yesterday we celebrated St. James Day, the birthday of Jim McClory. And I won't tell you how old he is. The sun, according to Hebrews, carries all things by the powerful word of command, which he speaks from his universal authority. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen also speaks of that. All authority, he says, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And from the omnipotence by which he is able to subject all things to himself. Philippians 3.20, that includes not only all diseases, but death itself, the last enemy. 1 Corinthians 15.26, like a shepherd leading and guiding his flock, this great shepherd of the sheep, as the son is called in Hebrews 13.20, whom God the Father raised from the dead on the basis of the blood of the everlasting covenant. He leads and guides all things 
to the pasture that is the new creation of all things. He also leads his people, even now, to springs of living water. Revelation 7.17. The son, S-O-N, does this as the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away and has taken away the sin of the world. Having made purification from sins and having sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The son is one with the father in all of these acts as the word, capital W-O-R-D, as the word which the father has eternally spoken. The word who remains in the father as the father remains in him. The son who carries all things to a universally saving culmination and conclusion is one with the father who affects everything according to the unstoppable resolution of his will. Ephesians 1.11. So as the son carries all things and every being and brings everything and every being to the father so that God will be all in all. So the father effects everything, says the scripture, according to the resolution of his will, his intention to sum up all things in his son. This co-action and the interaction of the father and the son works towards the ultimate good of the whole of created reality, which is to be comprised of Christ and filled with all the fullness of God. All of created reality being filled with all of the fullness of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 speaks of it, coupled with Ephesians 3, 19, B, the B part. All of created reality being filled with all the fullness of God is previewed in those whom the Spirit is being poured out. Those upon whom the Spirit of God is presently being poured out. The Holy Spirit, who in turn pours out the love of God in our hearts. So the scripture says, today... If you hear his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't harden your hearts. Don't put up the stiff arm, Hebrews 3, 7, and 8. Instead, be attentive because he reveals to us our great salvation, our so great salvation. Because he is the spirit of grace in Hebrews ten twenty nine. He tells us of the things we have freely received from God in 1 Corinthians 2.12, in God's Son. The interaction, therefore, of the Father and the Son in a dramatic presentation of a dialogue between them in Hebrews is a theatrical presentation, as it were, that we will be attending. The Son does not do anything without the Father. The Son does all that he does to glorify the Father. The Father does all he does to glorify 
his son. The result of this brings glory and honor to the creation, which was initially brought about in the mutual delight of the Father and the Son, which is the Holy Spirit. In one sense, the Holy Spirit is the mutual delight of the Father in the Son and the Son in the Father. The carrying of all things by the Son, which we have seen as Jesus bringing the universe as an acceptable offering to his Father, is one of those three verbs that the Son performs as seen in Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, a single sentence, a periodic complex sentence made of several clauses opens Hebrews. The Son has also sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high after making purification for sins. The action of the eternal Son has always been to uphold and carry the universe in all of its eons and ages, from the very beginning and to the very end. But now the Son carries all things as Jesus, who has become blood and flesh, in that order, in Hebrews 2.14, like us, and who has suffered and who has been made complete. And this is the mystery of Hebrews that we intend to tap. The mystery, he has been made complete or perfect through suffering. Hebrews 2.10. So what lies before us is the twofold question. One and two. Twofold. One question, twofold. In what sense did the Son as the source of our salvation, become perfect or complete? And why through suffering? The answer to this question takes the form of an extraordinary insight. In the same way, we could ask, how does the Son, S-O-N, who is the eternally begotten of God, and who was eternally generated or is eternally generated by the Father out of the Father's own substance and who is consubstantial with the Father, how does he become so much better than the angels, as it says here in one four? And how does he, whose name is already Yahweh, inherit a name that is so much more excellent than the names of the angels. How does he who has the name Yahweh inherit a name that is better than the names of the angels? The answer to this question likewise takes the form of a striking insight, one that enables us to see Jesus more clearly than we have before. Now, we've said the Son does all that he does to glorify the Father. We've also said the Father does all he does to glorify his Son. But now I'm saying this. As we are complete only in the Son, 
only in Christ. The Son is complete only in us. This is perhaps, and I can almost feel it, it's too bold of an assertion to make right now. So we'll see as we continue in Hebrews. Hebrews 1, and so far we have this translation. It probably needs to be tweaked a time or two from the original Greek text and expanded slightly. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. One periodic complex sentence made of several clauses. Here it is. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. In many parts and in various ways long ago, God, who spoke provisionally to the fathers and the prophets, in these last days has spoken definitively to us in a son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe, who is the visible radiance of God's glory and the exact visible self-representation of his invisible reality who upholds the universe and carries everything that happens in it through the course of all time toward a redemptive objective. What a thing to hear right now in our history who has made purification for sins who has sat down in the highest height at the right hand of the eternal majesty, having become as much better, notice this, having become as much better than the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So asking how and when the son became much better than the angels And how and when he inherited a name more excellent than theirs is like asking, when was all authority given to Jesus? Wasn't he already the possessor of all authority in heaven and on earth? Again, the same question arises in our hearts when we consider that the son inherited a name. Think of this. That is superior to the names of all the angels. So did not the son already have that name? Being after all, Yahweh? We have to consider that the son, in fact, earned that authority and merited that name by virtue of something that he underwent and something that he accomplished in a state and a condition that he did not have previous to his incarnation and before his suffering. He was given the name Jesus at his birth, but this name was given to him In his exaltation as the name above all names for the human man Jesus is the divine Yahweh and the man Christ Jesus the only mediator between God and all of humanity who gave himself as a ransom for all 
1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. So the Lord, that's Yahweh, is Jesus. That's Yeshua. It is at the mention of this name, none other than Jesus, that every knee bows in genuflection. Because the name Jesus is more than just a given name of a child at birth. It is the name that he inherited when he had been perfected through suffering. The angel told Joseph famously in Matthew 121, you are to name him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. It is a name that he inherited having suffered also though. And in that suffering having purified sins. And in that purification of sins he saved his people from their sins. In other words the son inherited or earned the name that he was given at his birth. He earned it through meritorious obedience. Well, it's as if the father said, this is my son, Jesus. He will live up to his name. He will save his people from their sins And he will inherit the name that he was given at his birth. It is not just the pre-existent and eternal son who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It is the son born of a woman named Jesus who became blood and flesh like us and became like us in everything except for sin Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 7.26, compared with 1 John 3.5, who was perfected through suffering, who is given all authority. Matthew 28.18. It is Jesus having taken on the likeness of sinful flesh in Romans 8.3 and the essential form and vocation of a slave in Philippians 2, 7 to 8, who was crucified in the weakest weakness in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, and who who also inherited the name Jesus as the name above all names and who lives now, right now, by the power of God in a spirit-empowered body of glory, a human body, a transcendent corporeal human body. Body. In 1 Corinthians 15.44, it's called a spiritual body. In Philippians 3.20, it is called a body of glory. Soma doxa. So when we say we see Jesus, it means that we recognize that Jesus is the name above all names. When we name the name of Jesus... For God's son, we are naming the name that will be named by every mouth and in every language in a universal praise-filled 
genuflection to the glory of God the Father. That the Son carries all things, as we've seen. That he upholds the universe and carries everything in it and all that happens in its history to an external term that is to the delight of his Father means that he presently does so as Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, the Son always did this as the eternal Logos, the Word. But now as the eternal Logos having been made flesh and then having been made to be sin for us and then exalted to the highest heavens, having been buried and raised out from among the dead. This is the ultimate deadlift. And God accomplished it by raising his dead son to life and lifting him up to sit at his right hand in the highest heights of the heavens, above the heavens, in fact. If you look up Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, 4, 8 to 10, and 4, 11 to 16, in lifting up his dead son to a new kind of divine and human life and livingness, he lifted all the creation too a reality yet to be demonstrated to sight and to sound in space and in time. More shocking, therefore, than the disclosure that now the sun is purely human in nature as well as divine is the revelation that he has been joined to all of humanity in perfect solidarity. That's why Peter said, by exceeding great and precious promises, we are partakers of the divine nature. In 2 Peter 1.4. Consequently, humanity in him, no longer in the first Adam, but the second Adam, in him inherits the earth of the coming age. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, what if all humanity is in the one who said, I am meek, and I inherit the earth? Well, humanity inherits the earth in Jesus, who in the days of his flesh was meek and lowly of heart, as Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says. And this is what Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, the Septuagint 8, 5 through 7 means when it says, quote, What is man that you think of him? Or the son of man that you have a care for him? You made him somewhat lower than angels for a little while and crowned him with glory and honor. You appointed him over the works of your hands. You put everything, panta, under his feet. Now the PT, I call him that, the pastor theologian who wrote Hebrews, knows that this speaks not only of humankind in general, but also of Jesus in particular. He was the one crowned with glory and honor 
but in him being crowned with glory and honor, all of humanity in a solidarity with him is also destined to be crowned with glory and honor. The pastor teacher, the pastor theologian, he knows this. And he speaks not only of humankind in general, but also of Jesus in particular. The psalm testifies of Jesus, Psalm 8 does, verses 4 through 6, as the psalms in general speak of him. As Psalm 2-7 speaks of him, and Hebrews makes much of that. As Psalm 110-1 speaks of him, and Hebrews makes much of that. As Hebrews makes much of Psalm 110-4, as he makes much of Psalm 45, 6 through 7, the Septuagint being 44, 7 through 8. They all speak of him, but these are the ones selected by the Hebrews pastor theologian. There is a double entendre in Hebrews 2, 6 through 8, and in Psalm 8, 4 through 6, and the PT elaborates this, on a, and he does so by explaining its soteriological and its eschatological implications. Soteriology being the theology of salvation. Eschatology being the theology of the last things. Humankind as a species, or as the scripture calls it, a patria or a family. Humankind, human beings, as a species or as a family on the earth that derives its being and its identity from God the Father, according to Ephesians 3.14 to 15, the Father in heaven. That human family is also intended by God to rule the future world, which we may simply call future world, a familiar term to sci-fi people perhaps, but it's a term stolen from the scripture. Real reality. Tain oikomenein tain melusan. The impending world, the impending inhabited world in Hebrews 2.5. Consequently, this man of Psalm 8 fame, this son of man, of Psalm 8 fame, who is the corporeal, physical man, Jesus, is also the Son of Man who is inclusive of all humanity, of men and women. For in Christ there's neither male nor female. That distinction is not important. Though it still pertains, it's not important. By this, the Spirit gestures the hearers of this sermon to a profound insight. The suggestion that the Son, being perfected through suffering, has something to do not with his own personal, ethical, or moral development. He didn't need to be made perfect there. It has to do with his being made perfect in solidarity with all of humanity. God has not subjected to angels the care of the inhabited world to come. The future world, or future world, 
which is the melding of heaven and earth, the world of the new creation of all things for eternal life. No, God has not subjected future world to angels, but to human beings in Hebrews 2, 5, in solidarity with the Son of Man, with Jesus, a family on earth. Listen carefully as we wind down to the closing. A family on earth and not a family in heaven is destined to be the ruling class of the future world. Now, don't get that ruling class thing wrong. Those who are in rule are the servants, gladly. The least shall be the greatest. The first shall be last. All those crucified with Christ in abject weakness will live and rule by the merciful power of God. Those who suffer with him will reign together with him. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. What? And I'll ask, the, I'll ask us this. What? Don't we know that the saints will administer the universe? 1 Corinthians 6, 2a. Don't you know, don't we know, that we will decide matters for angels? 1 Corinthians 6, 3a. But we're anticipating here. We are anticipating a great insight that is reserved for later elaboration and explanation. Before we return to the exordium from which everything in Hebrew springs, which is the initial exordium, the first complex sentence, one, one to four. Before we return there, I'd like to ask one more question. How do we expect to be perfected? And made companions of Jesus without suffering. If God saw it fitting to perfect his son through suffering, how do we imagine that we can be perfected without suffering? For the scripture says, It has been given to you. On Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Philippians 1.29. And since we are children, we are also heirs, also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, seeing that we are suffering in order also to be glorified with him. Romans 8.17. And still again. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. After you have suffered a little. First Peter 5.10 this is the true grace of God, 1 Peter 5.12. And one more time, Hebrews 12.4. In fighting against sin, 
you have not yet fought to the point of shedding your blood. So once again, the initial exordium, this is where we have begun. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, in many parts. And in various ways long ago, God who spoke provisionally to the fathers and the prophets has in these last days spoken definitively to us in a son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he made the universe who is the invisible who is the visible the visible radiance of God's glory and the exact visible self representation of his invisible reality who upholds the universe and carries everything that happens in it through the course of all time toward a redemptive objective who has made purification for sins, who has sat down in the highest heights at the right hand of the eternal majesty, having become, and this is where we're going, having become as much better than the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this single, periodic, complex sentence containing many clauses with many verbs closes with the theme of angelology, the theological theme of angels. And that theme of angelology, which extends into chapter 2, is extremely important because more specifically, this introduces an aspect of Christology, the word about Christ, in which the Son in whom God spoke in these last days is seen... to be superior to angels as much better than they as the name that he inherited is more excellent than any name that was ever given by God to angels or spoken among angels of angels. How the son inherited this name, which we've hinted at today, the answer to that only hinted. How the Son inherited this name is a question that is answered throughout the homily that is Hebrews. God's chosen document, Hebrews, right now, is God's chosen document for us right now. And it's the lens he's dropped from heaven so that we on earth can see Jesus crowned with glory and honor, and see him with 2020 vision. So thank you, Father, for dropping that lens from heaven. You've dropped several of them, and I can speak as a pastor of a cadre of believers. You've dropped several lenses for us to look through, all of whom, all of these lenses are placed upon our eyes and before our eyes that we may see your Son, And that we may see what you mean when you say, this is my son in whom I am completely pleased. May your Holy Spirit, the spirit of grace, continue to teach us. And may a spirit of grace and supplications, Zechariah 12.10, continue to be poured out upon us 
so that we can make effective intercession for our generation and for our children's generation and for our children's children's generation and for our parents and our grandparents and for you to be glorified in this present critical time in our history. We ask all these things and we present ourselves as we did at the beginning. We present ourselves again. As the scripture says, commit your souls to a faithful creator. A, it's a piece of instruction from above. All the more important for such a time as this. First Peter 4.19. Thanks for listening. And we'll be speaking again fairly soon, Lord willing, as this time of forfeiture of public meetings is continues. We'll continue to bring, by the grace of God, these messages in Hebrews so this train keeps on rolling. Thank you very much.